Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Horror Story is a podcast about strange and mysterious true horrors. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and producer of Horror Story. In the show, I have an episode called There's a Stranger in Your Walls. And it's about a woman that moved out of her home because she thought it was being haunted. But the truth happened to be even scarier than the ghosts. Other stories dive deep into the supernatural, like the one of the most infamous cases of real ghosts, called The Haunting in San Pedro. But if you're into mysteries, learn about the pilot who disappeared in the sky. All of these and more are available on Horror Story right now, with more episodes coming out every single week. You can search for the podcast by typing in Horror Story on your podcast app right now. The show is the one with the yellow letters. I'll see you over there on Horror Story. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by HelloFresh. America's number one meal kit delivery service that delivers mouth-watering seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients right to your door each and every month to help make cooking at home fun, easy, and affordable. And by Chilling Tales' very own 2019 Evil Idol competition, our fourth annual horror voice acting competition, going on now exclusively on your YouTube channel. I'll be back after each of our first two stories tonight to share a bit more information about our sponsors and about how HelloFresh can help make your life just a bit easier and far more delicious. Plus, they've got a special offer for those of you in our listening audience. Until then, settle in, get cozy, and prepare to be unsettled. The show's about to begin. <laughs> it's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights.
<laughs> Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction about lurid landlords, arctic apocalypses, and envious exes. I'm Otis Jiry, host of the Scary Stories Told in the Dark podcast, now in its fifth season. My show is available on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found. And tonight, I'll be filling in as host on behalf of my good friend Steve Taylor, and I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice talents Kristen Mass, Eric Peabody, and Dear Clue, all of them top-performing contestants and second-round competitors in Chilling Tales for Dark Nights 2019 Evil Idol Horror Voice Acting Competition. If you enjoyed their performances tonight, visit our YouTube channel and vote on theirs and other entries in the competition. The second round is on now, and the first handful of entries have been posted. But there's plenty more to come, and plenty of time to vote and help decide who advances. So check out our channel and join in the deliciously dark fun yet to come. Again, you can find CTFDN and the Evil Idol competition on YouTube. Just search Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube on any search engine or visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Evil Idol link on the navigation bar to see a current roster, contestant profiles, and links to all of the performances thus far. We and the candidates appreciate your support. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> our first tale tonight is both written and voiced by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 13, Kristen Mass. In it, we meet a woman with an unusual landlady who keeps some truly bizarre secrets. You thought your landlords were nasty. Without further ado, I present to you Tenement. I moved into my new apartment nearly a month ago. The building's exterior looked a little run down, but the rent was unbeatable for where it stood. The other tenants all seemed quiet enough, and the hallways didn't smell like piss and stale beer like the two other buildings I'd checked out previously. The apartment, a sprawling 700-square-foot finished unit, was warm and inviting, with richly colored hardwood floors and accents. The rooms were lit with antiquated brass sconces that gave everything a soft, yellowy glow, and all the furniture seemed to be new. I figured I was getting a someone-was-murdered-in-your-bedroom discount, but I didn't really care. The place was beautiful, and I was going to be able to eat. The landlady, Ms. Hall, was a sweet, frail-looking woman with a melodic accent, and the most pleasant person I'd encountered since moving away from the rural setting I was so used to. 
It's so nice to have a lovely young lady here. Now, if any of the gentlemen give you any trouble, you just come find me and I'll set them straight. She said, gathering up my freshly signed lease. I thanked her and watched as she drifted back down the cheerfully wallpapered hallway, disappearing around a corner. Unpacking took the better part of the afternoon, only because my overly friendly and extremely single neighbor Henry had to make himself known to me. It's not that I wasn't flattered, but I really just wanted to unpack, make some tea, and watch Netflix in my PJs. Henry was cute, though, and seemed harmless enough, so I told him I'd meet him for coffee after I'd settled in. Around 7.30, things quieted down and I was able to relax. I pulled on some ragged flannel pajamas and sat contently on the plush sofa, letting some god-awful reality show melt my brain into a zombie-like trance. I woke suddenly. The TV was off. I fumbled from my phone, then winced at the blinding light emanating from its screen. 2.30? I said, in groggy disbelief. I was covered with a blanket, the worn patchwork quilt my grandmother made me when I was a child. I snuggled under it, though I was sure I had left it folded neatly at the foot of my bed after unpacking. Floorboards creaked in the darkness behind me, then again to my left. I sat upright. I could see a shadow moving away from the small gap beneath my apartment door. I rushed to the door and checked the locks. Everything was still secure. I peered through the peephole, but couldn't see anyone. I slipped through the pitch to grab a knife from the kitchen. I had seen enough true crime shows to know the score. I cleared the apartment room by room until I was satisfied I was alone. The next morning, I went down to the first floor and knocked on the landlady's door. Oh, good morning, dear. Miss Hull was still in her housecoat, with her hair up in curlers, all safely packed into a pink hairnet. Good morning. Uh, you said I could talk to you if I had any problems? Her smile faded being replaced by a grave expression. Come in, dear. I'll make some tea. She listened intently, nodding every so often while sipping at the steaming bergamot ichor, as I told her about the creaking floor and a shadow at my door. When I'd finished, she sat silently, studying me for a moment. I'll let you in on a little secret, but you must promise not to tell anyone. I nodded. She stood and motioned for me to follow. Ms. Hall led me to the door of an unassuming utility closet tucked away at the bottom of a dank stairwell. She took a ring of keys from her housecoat pocket, unlocked the door, and pushed it open slowly. Rows of small TV screens relayed images from CCTV cameras all over the building. Every hallway, stairwell, and darkened corner was monitored. This isn't exactly what I expected, I said studying the screens. Well, to be completely truthful, dear, a few of the gentlemen I rent to have criminal records. I don't want to leave anything to chance, especially when some of my tenants are lovely young girls, such as yourself. What kind of records? I said, suddenly sure the unassuming Henry was a raging pervert. Oh, nothing overly violent. That didn't sound as reassuring as I had hoped. So, can you show me who was at my door last night? Ms. Hall nodded, then sat in a rolling chair in front of the cluster of screens. I took a seat, watching her hands fly over the controls as she scanned through the footage. She stopped and pointed to one of the TVs. There. This is yours, at 2am. I stared at the screen, 
2.30 came and passed. Nothing. Ms. Hall smiled kindly and gave my hand a sympathetic pat. It was your first night in a new place, dear. Perhaps it was just a bad dream. Yeah, maybe. I thanked her for her help and went back to my apartment. I flopped on the couch and stared up at the decorative plaster ceiling, feeling sufficiently stupid for having bothered the landlady with a creaky floorboard and a dubious shadow. I easily could have forgotten grabbing the quilt. Still, I planned to remain on guard. That night, I slept lightly, listening to every creak and groan the old building made. I slept with a flashlight on my bedstand and kitchen knife under my pillow. Woe to the pervert who enters my bedroom. But nothing unexplainable happened. After several quiet nights, I began to relax. I was feeling more settled in and ready to socialize with the neighbors, whom I had yet to see. I invited Ms. Hall up for tea. While I enjoyed her company, I really just wanted the skinny on the resident weirdos, who to avoid and who was safe to mingle with. Well, to be frank, dear, none are very social. None? Isn't the building full? Most don't stay around long enough to bother getting acquainted with. They're usually just passing through. Not like you, dear. My brow furrowed. What about the guy I met the other day? He seemed nice. Henry from 2B? Ms. Hall shook her head. Mr. Palmer no longer lives here. Are you sure? I just talked to him a few days ago. We were going to have coffee. He's gone, she said, more forcefully than I'd expected from her. Fair enough. We finished our tea while chatting about the weather and how I was liking city life. Let me help you with the dishes, Ms. Hall said, already beginning to gather cups and saucers. No, it's alright. I'll get them after a bit. I said, taking them from her and shuttling them to the kitchen sink. Well, alright, if you're sure. With that, she excused herself, saying she needed to go take care of a few household chores. After I was sure I wouldn't run into Ms. Hall milling about in the corridor, I went out to greet my new neighbors. I started with 3A and 3C, the apartments on either side of me, but neither answered their door. Ms. Hall did say they weren't a very social bunch. I descended another floor. I knocked on each door down one side of the hall, then up the other side. Sunday afternoon, and no one in the building was home, save for the landlady and me. On my way back to the stairwell, I passed by Henry's apartment. I lingered for a moment, before deciding to knock at the door, even though Ms. Hall insisted Henry had moved out. I raised my hand to tap the ornate knocker. I heard a thud, then a scuffling sound coming from inside. I stopped, and placed my ear against the door. I stood there for several seconds, listening to the silence. As I pulled away, I heard a whimper. Henry? I knocked loudly. Henry, are you in there? I heard the whimper again, then a muffled scream. Henry! I grabbed the doorknob, but it was locked. I frantically slammed my shoulder against the wooden barrier. I could still hear the screams, but they were fading away. What's going on here? Ms. Hall said, rushing to get between me and the door. There's someone in there! I can hear screaming! Ms. Hall looked at me sternly before retrieving her keyring from her cardigan pocket. She lazily flipped through the keys, squinting at each one before finally sliding one into the lock. 
She pushed the door open, and I rushed in. The apartment was pitch black. I felt blindly along the wall until reaching the light switch. The apartment was about half the size of mine, and stuffed with new-looking furniture. Hello? Henry? I headed for the narrow passage to the bedroom, while Ms. Hall just stood outside. Henry? I eased the door open. The room was empty. Perhaps it was one of the other residents' televisions, dear. I already told you Mr. Palmer moved out, Ms. Hall said, stepping inside. Maybe she was right. It was possible. Maybe living in the city is making me a paranoid nutcase. But that was the second time I'd questioned my sanity in almost a month, which made me just the tiniest bit suspicious. I looked around the bedroom once more. A dark shape on the floor caught my attention. It was barely poking out from beneath the bed skirt. What is it you have there? Ms. Hall said from just behind my left shoulder. I nearly jumped out of my skin. I quickly composed myself and plucked the object from the carpet. Ms. Hall crowded closer as I flipped it open. Henry's face stared back at me from his driver's license photo. Oh dear, it looks like Mr. Palmer left his wallet. I'm not surprised. He left in such a rush. I was having a serious case of the creeps, and the lady I was rubbing shoulders with was giving them to me. Ms. Hall snatched the wallet from my hand. Don't worry. I'll see this return to Mr. Palmer. Yeah, sure. I said, fully convinced Henry was going to be chopped into little pieces and thrown out with the trash. I sprinted back to my apartment and locked the door behind me. That should have been my cue to go to the police, but I didn't. After all, what did I see? Nothing. I would have sounded like a rear window nutcase. I went to the kitchen and rummaged through the fridge, looking for something to stress eat. I froze when I saw the sink and my peripheral. It was empty. The dishes I'd put there barely an hour ago were washed, dried, and back in the cupboard. I wasn't crazy or paranoid. There was something very wrong with my landlady, and I needed to know what it was. I waited until nearly three in the morning to sneak down to the surveillance room. I figured the door would be locked, and a hastily assembled lock-picking kit jingled lightly in my pocket as I jogged down the hallway. I clung to the wall when I saw the door was cracked open slightly, so a thin beam of light flowed out into the otherwise dark stairwell. I opened the door gently, cringing at the chorus of squeaky hinges. Ms. Hall? I said, straining to see in the dim light. The room was empty. I slipped over to the glowing monitors and began searching the screens for anything out of the ordinary. It was all the same angles I'd seen before, every inch of the hallways and stairwells. I scanned back on the screen showing my apartment door, but the only person entering or leaving was me. I leaned back in the chair and let out a sigh, letting my head fall back. I squinted in the dark. A faint red glow illuminated a small area on top of the towering stack of monitors. I stood on my tiptoes. There was a red button labeled Subfeed. I pushed it, and the monitors shifted. The screens displayed interior shots of each apartment. I felt a chill ripple across my skin. One monitor held the familiar image of my living room. 
the wide angle picking up my kitchen and open bedroom door behind it. I shifted my gaze, checking the other screens. Each showed a similar interior shot of the other apartments. All were darkened. I was only able to make out the faint outline of furniture draped with sheets. There were no other tenants. Movement caught my eye on a separate monitor which sat cattywampus to the others. Ms. Hall was busily hovering around her kitchen table, pouring a thick red liquid into a bowl from a glass decanter. She carefully sat the bowl on a small stone hearth in front of an immense fireplace I had somehow failed to notice during my previous visit. She seemed to be talking to herself as she left the camera's view. The apartment was still, all except for the flames licking at the fireplace's masonry. I glanced briefly at the clock, then back to the screen. There it stood, slurping up the contents of the bowl. I thought it was a man wearing tattered rags, but looking closer, I could see it was hair. It hung down in filthy, matted clumps, obscuring its face and covering its body. Jesus. I exhaled sharply. The thing's head snapped up, as though it heard me. I could see grotesque features peeking out from beneath the stringy, tangled mess. Its small, black eyes stared back at me through the screen. There was no air. The room was suffocating. Its intense gaze bored into me, and I had to look away to draw a breath. I steadied myself and looked back. It was gone. I jumped to my feet. My hand flew to the subfeed button. I hesitated a moment. The right uppermost screen showed a cellar-like room, filled with boxes and crates on heavy-duty wood shelving, and the edge of what looked like a cage could be seen through an open doorway. I quickly hit the button and changed the screens over. Ms. Hall stood at the top of the stairwell, peering down into the darkness where I stood. I didn't move. I didn't even blink. I just stared silently at the monitor, trying to will her away. She placed one foot on the first descending step. Shit. Then another. She stopped when something from further upstairs caught her attention. She retreated back up the stairs and onto a different screen, showing her heading back toward her apartment. I pushed the chair back in as I found it, then padded from the room and out the door. I was back in my apartment and on my couch before I began breathing again. What the hell did I see? The part of my brain trained a lie to me to make me feel better told me the hideous creature I saw was just a homeless man, and I should be ashamed of myself for judging. Nice try, brain, but I'm not stupid. That wasn't human, whatever it was. I sat up until daylight with a kitchen knife in my hand. A knock at my door roused me from my half-sleeping state. I crept cautiously over to the peephole. Ms. Hall was in a pink polka dot swing dress, straight out of the 1950s. Yes? I said, still clutching my knife, feeling ridiculous for being afraid of the June Cleaver clone outside my door. Hello, dear. It's just me. I'm going to do some shopping today. Would you like to come with me? I carefully fed the knife into my hoodie pocket, then opened the door. Ms. Hall's sweet smile disappeared when she got a look at my sleep-deprived face. I'm not feeling well today, but thank you for asking, I said, then feigned a cough. Oh my goodness, dear. You'll get right back into bed, and when I get home, I'll bring you a nice hot cup of tea and some tasty soup. I shuddered inwardly, 
thinking of that thing slurping from Ms. Hall's crockery, then forced a smile. She turned to leave, but stopped as I began to close the door. And you really shouldn't carry a knife around in your pocket like that, dear. It's quite dangerous. I trembled as the door fell shut and latched. I watched her leave the building from my living room window. She hailed a cab and drove away. I waited until the cab was out of view, then a bit longer to make sure it didn't return. I sprinted down the stairs, knife in hand, realizing I was alone with that thing I saw on the CCTV, and I knew I needed to get out and to the police. I reached the large metal security doors at the front entrance. I tried to fling them open, but they didn't budge. I slammed against the push bar. I could hear the rattling of chains on the other side. That bitch locked me in! A few feet away, Ms. Hall's apartment door clicked softly and began to open. I flew down the hallway, which ran perpendicular to the main corridor. The fluorescent lights flickered rapidly overhead, then began to turn off one by one. Oh, come on! I slammed into a door around a blind corner marked Boiler, then ducked inside, locking it behind me. A narrow stairway led down into a murkiness, punctuated by dim bulkhead-style lamps. The dark descent opened up into the storage room I'd seen on the monitor screen. The mixed scent of pine, cedar, and loam was overwhelming. It was some kind of root cellar. Thick wooden beams made the structure for the shelving which ringed the room. In the dim, bluish light, I could make out wooden crates, marked with black block letters and nailed shut. One of the crates was yet to be fastened. I leaned in close. The crate read, 2B. Inside, Henry's wallet lay atop a pile of keys, pocketbooks, and cell phones. Trophies, I thought. To my right, there was a place among the shelving where more blue light flooded in. Dust particles swirled and parted as I stepped through into another smaller room. The only furnishings were a crude metal cage, a heavily stained low pallet table, and a few cast iron lanterns holding an azure glow. In the corner, part of the packed dirt floor was cut away, and several jugs were stored in the pit. I grabbed one of the jugs and held it up to the light. Inside, a viscous, deep magenta substance coated the glass sides. I removed the cork, and the room filled with a smell of iron. The strange blue lights of the lanterns grew dim, shrinking away as though they were afraid. I bristled at the feeling of eyes on me. There was a change in sound or air pressure. I turned. A hulking black shape filled the doorway. It stood at least seven feet tall, its girth comprised of stinking matted clumps of hair hanging all over its body. I backed away as far as the small room would allow. The creature vanished from the opening, then reappeared, bent down inches from my face. Its lips peeled away, revealing a mouth of jagged, stained teeth. Its hot, wet breath reeked of old blood and rot. Its eyes. I could barely breathe. I'd never seen such an absolute void. Even in my terror, I couldn't keep that Nietzsche quote out of my head. The abyss was sure as hell gazing back. The creature's mottled brown hand shot out. Spider leg fingers wrapped around my body, pulling me into its filthy tendrils. I woke up in my bed. Relief washed over me when I realized it must have been a nightmare. 
Good morning, dear. Ms. Hall sat at my bedside. I tried to jerk away, but found my wrists and ankles were fastened to the bedposts with twine bindings. He really doesn't mean any harm. He? I said, noticing the creature standing silently in a darkened corner of my room, folding a basket of towels I'd yet to get around to. Ms. Hall smiled her sickeningly sweet smile. Have you heard of bronies, dear? I ignored the question, trying to keep an eye on the creature slipping in and out of sight as it tidied up the room. They're a type of spirit folk, and this one's been in my family for generations. When I moved here from Scotland, I brought the hearthstones from my family's home with me to ensure he'd follow. My right wrist seemed to be tied more loosely than the left. I understand you found the storage room downstairs, and before you think ill of me, you must understand, keeping a brunie requires certain offerings to be made. A little more slack. Offering? I said, trying to keep Ms. Hall's attention away from the loosening ties. Well, that's what the blood's for, dear. The skin on my wrist burned like hellfire, but I was making progress. Brunies are loyal servants but it's important to show your appreciation for everything they do. I'd never be able to care for such a large building without him. So, let me summarize. You murdered Henry and all your other tenants to feed their blood to your troll so he'd clean? Ms. Hall leaned in close. Her slender fingers grabbed my chin, forcing me to look her in the eyes. Bruni, she said, pronouncing it as you would for a child. And he has become very fond of you. I jerked my head away from her grasp. And you will be an offering for him, one way or another. With one final tug, my hand was free. I buried it beneath my pillow, grasping the hidden kitchen knife I'd prayed was still there. I plunged the blade into the side of Ms. Hall's dainty neck. She crumpled to the floor gagging and pawing at the knife handle protruding from her throat. I fumbled at the ropes binding my left wrist, kicking myself for losing my grip on the knife. The creature appeared in the hallway outside my bedroom door, its vacuous, pinpoint eyes moving from Ms. Hall's body to where I lay lashed to the bed. The thing took one immense stride, bending low to pass through the doorway. Frantic, I looked for anything close at hand to either cut through my ropes or to throw at the looming figure. The only item within reach was a balled-up jacket at the head of the bed. I grabbed it and chucked it with all the destructive force a windbreaker can muster. The creature caught the projectile with ease, then examined it as though he were department store shopping, scrutinizing its quality. He nodded in approval and draped the garment over one filthy arm. The creature's face, behind a veil of stringy hair, contorted into something like a wry smile before it spoke. Cloak to me ye have gave. No longer will I be a slave. The thing vanished. I sat motionless for a moment, unable to fathom that the creature was capable of speech, much less metered rhyme. I was able to free myself after a few trembling minutes, and flee from the apartment building that seemed to deteriorate around me. No one believed me, 
Not that I blamed them. They thought the trauma of being held hostage warped my recollection of events, making Ms. Hall's accomplice into some kind of monster in my faulty memory. But I didn't care. I just wanted to move back home, never to step foot in the city again. Ms. Hall was dead, and that thing slipped back into whatever dimension it came from. I was exhausted when I finally reached the safety of my childhood home. I left the contents of my suitcase and a few packing boxes, strewn across my bedroom, and collapsed upon the gathered mass of sheets and blankets. I slept deeply for the first time in weeks. When I woke, my room was clean, and I lay tucked beneath a carefully made bed with a few strands of long, filthy hair clutched in my hand. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. True Scary Story is a podcast about personal, terrifying stories dealing with the paranormal. True accounts from people who live through strange and supernatural experiences told directly by them. My name is Edwin Covarrubias. And for years, I have been listening to stories from people who have shared their most frightening true experiences with me. There was one story recently called There's Something in the Closet, where Juanita tells us about her experiences growing up in a house where she would see objects physically move on their own, but the rest of her family would act as if nothing was happening. It wasn't until years later that she found out what the source of it all was. Which makes me wonder, if you were to witness a haunting... Who would believe you? Come find True Scary Story by typing it into your app right now. I'll see you over there on True Scary Story. I hope you enjoyed Tenement as written and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 13, Kristen Mass. Up next, we've got another tale for you. This one, courtesy of Evil Idol 2019 contestant number five, Eric Peabody, who both wrote and performed it. In it, a set of parents, when confronted with the dire results of a wintertime natural disaster, do their best to provide for their family. But at what cost? Before I proceed, however... I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsor, HelloFresh. As I mentioned at the top of the show, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit delivery service that delivers mouth-watering seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients right to your door 
each and every month. HelloFresh's purpose, to help make cooking at home fun, easy, and affordable. HelloFresh is now from $5.66 per serving, and with the amazing offer they have for those of you listening tonight, there's no better time to give them a try. In these past few months, the crew here at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights had a chance to try out the service, and i got to tell you, we were impressed. After signing up, our director, Craig, who's got a family of five, including three boys of his own, returned home to find his very first HelloFresh box on his doorstep, with not one, but three full meals ready to prepare in a box, complete with ice packs to keep everything in pristine condition. Even after making the trip all the way from New York to his home in Wisconsin, and HelloFresh didn't skimp. The meals had everything needed to make the meals that same day, with the exception of basics everybody's got, such as salt and pepper and a stick of butter. It couldn't have gotten any easier to make a home-cooked meal that tasted like something out of a gourmet restaurant. And that's what's so great about HelloFresh. It's restaurant-quality, home-cooked, and made simple. Whether you're an aspiring chef or don't think you could live without your microwave, the service makes it easy for anyone to conquer the kitchen with delicious, healthy recipes that are easy to follow. What makes HelloFresh so unique? First of all, their recipes are delicious. With HelloFresh, you'll break out of your dinner rut in no time with their 22-plus seasonal chef-curated recipes each week. Got a picky eater in your family? No worries. There's something for everyone on HelloFresh's incredible menu, including low-calorie, vegetarian, and family-friendly recipes every week. Still not convinced? Well, what if I told you that HelloFresh has more five-star recipes than any other meal kit? It's true. Take it from me. This company has done all the legwork for you, so you can rest easy knowing you'll get something delicious in each and every delivery. HelloFresh has gone out of their way to make sure kids, and even the pickiest of eaters, will approve of its recipes. Our director Craig told us his kids, they loved every part of the meals, from helping to cook, to how it tasted, and they even craved the leftovers. Now, since when does that happen with anything these days, other than mac and cheese? (laughs) As if that's not good enough already, HelloFresh helps you save time and reduce your stress effortlessly. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and prepping so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in just about 30 minutes or even 20 minutes with their quick recipe options. The ingredients are fresh and pre-measured and every meal comes with an easy-to-follow six-step picture recipe card and it's all delivered each and every week straight to your door in a special insulated box So even if it arrives while you're at work, you don't have to worry about a thing. Think about it. The average trip to the grocery store takes 41 minutes, according to the Time Institute Research Group. That's over 35 hours a year if you go once a week. And that is insane. Who'd want to do that 
when you could get everything you need brought to your door and spend more time with those you love instead, or just get more quiet time to yourself after a long day. HelloFresh's meals call for less than two pots and pans and require minimal cleanup. Because the last thing you want to do after providing for your family and working hard all day is stare at an enormous pile of dishes. The entire service is designed to allow you to spend less time, meal planning and grocery shopping, and free up your time to do more things that you love. And the dinners you'll end up with are fuss-free. HelloFresh made everything enjoyable and easy for Craig and his family. The whole process was a great activity that helped bring them together. The five of them decided together which of the three meals they got all at once that they'd like to make the first night, and they settled on HelloFresh's Italian meatloaf with roasted green beans and mashed potatoes, and it took less than 20 minutes to make the first meal. Not only that, but, like I mentioned before, everything they needed was included, except for a stick of butter and a pinch of salt and pepper. In the box, there was fresh basil, right off the stem, shallots, garlic, and a generous pile of Yukon gold potatoes, alongside the best beef Craig says he's ever tasted, freshly picked beans, and even the milk and sour cream. Because of all this, Craig was able to spend less time worrying and more time around the table with the people he loves most, enjoying a hot meal he made himself. What a way to feel accomplished after a long day at the office without needing to leave the comfort of your home to buy a dozen ingredients for just one meal. In the same box, Craig also received all the ingredients necessary to make pork carnitas tacos with pickled onion and Monterey Jack cheese, and my personal favorite... Cheesy stuffed barbecue pork burgers with charred pineapple and sweet potato fries. Man, my mouth's watering just thinking about it. Sound too good to be true? It's not. And it gets better yet. HelloFresh is flexible and fits your lifestyle. With so many choices, you'll never run out of options. With their service, you can add extra meals or lunches to your weekly order or throw in yummy sides and desserts like garlic bread and cookie dough, or easily change your delivery days or food preferences and skip a week whenever you need it. The only thing HelloFresh doesn't do for you is cook the meal. But making a table of tasty eats doesn't get any better or easier than this. And I think once you give this service a try, you'll never go back to eating out again. Who wants overpriced chain restaurant cuisine or greasy burgers and fries when you can put something unique and delicious on your table three days a week with HelloFresh without needing to pile everyone in the car to go anywhere? In a busy world, HelloFresh just makes sense. So, get out of that recipe rut, get the most meal for your moolah with HelloFresh, now from just $5 66 cents per serving. To show their appreciation and make it easy for you to sign up now, HelloFresh is offering our listeners a fantastic deal. Go to HelloFresh.com slash CTDN10 and use code CTDN10 during HelloFresh's New Year's sale 
for 10 free meals, including free shipping. Once again, go to HelloFresh.com slash CTDN10 and use code CTDN10 to get 10 free meals, including free shipping. Be sure to use that URL and promo code to let them know that Otis and the team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights sent you. Thanks so much for listening and for giving HelloFresh a try this month. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help support this program, and that means a lot to us. Now that we've freed up your schedule by making it easier to make dinner, we've got some extra time to kill. So why not spend it with us, listening in as we spin another terrifying tale. Up next, we move out of the kitchen, but not out of the frying pan, as we follow a family that finds themselves the victims of an unseasonable blizzard from which even HelloFresh can't save them. But rest assured, no one is going hungry in their home. As written and voiced by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number five, Eric Peabody, I present to you Snow Day. Jake Thomason pulled the sleeve of his sweatshirt down, covering his hand, and wiped away the condensation from the window. It was the third time he had done this in the past ten minutes, but he didn't want to miss seeing if any cars drove by outside. He was sitting on his knees on the family couch, elbows propped against the back of it, and leaning forward, his small face almost pressed against the window. He was so close to it that he could feel the cold radiating from it, even though it was nice and warm in the house. On the floor by the couch was his red Transformers backpack, with a pencil case full of crayons, an index card with his home address and phone number written on it, his baseball cap, and a three-day-old apple inside. He was humming the tune to I Dream of Jeannie absentmindedly, not loud enough to cover the sound of the television from the kitchen in the next room. Jake wasn't listening to the TV, nor was he listening to the snippets of his parents' muted and tense conversation that drifted out of the kitchen. It was light in the kitchen, but the only illumination in the living room was from the large picture window that Jake was looking out of, wrapped. The world outside was a near-perfect white, and the dim daylight crept in like a ghost, bringing silence and mystery with it. Jake had lived in this house for all of his five years and knew the outside street as well as he knew anything. He knew the front porch, which was painted a brick-red color. He knew the steps that led down past the yard. He knew the plastic kiddie pool that was up every summer and which he had used as recently as last week. He knew the cracks in the sidewalk beyond, and he knew to never, ever go off the sidewalk into the street because that's where the cars drove and a car could run him over. He knew the houses across the street, where the Laramies lived and the Alvarezes, and his friend Bobby Guilliford and his parents. Now, however, he didn't recognize any of these familiar sights. There was only snow. The snow had drifted up onto the porch, and the only red paint still visible was on the columns supporting the overhang. The steps, sidewalk, and road were indistinguishable from each other, 
except for a row of intermittent bulges that marked the parked cars at the edge of the roadway. The pool was just a slight mound on the right side of the area where the lawn used to be. Beyond that, the drifting flurries obliterated everything. Bobby Gilliford could be standing in his front yard across the street, playing with his juggling balls, and Jake would never know. In fact, Jake hadn't seen anyone for a day or two now. The snow had started four days ago on August 20th, and there were still people driving for the first day and then walking around for a bit longer. But the snow had just kept coming, and eventually Jake stopped seeing anyone outside. That didn't stop him from looking, though. In his mind, he kept expecting to see the splash of headlights come down the street, followed by the bright yellow of the school bus that he'd been waiting for. The bus would stop in front of his house, and he'd run out with his backpack and get on board, seeing all of the other kids huddled up in coats and scarves and gloves. Bobby would be there, and so would a whole bunch of other kids that Jake had never met before. The bus driver would smile at him, and the doors would close, and the bus would take him across town to his first day of school. His first day, which should have been two days ago. Jake wasn't too young to realize how strange it was to have snow this close to the end of summer. He had known this on his own, but it was confirmed when he overheard his dad on the phone the day before saying that it was fucking unnatural. Jake's mother had seen Jake listening and told his dad to watch his language, but Jake's dad didn't like that, and they had spent the rest of the day yelling at each other. This wasn't out of the ordinary, not fucking unnatural, Jake thought, but they had seemed more easily angered since the snow had started. Jake didn't have the vocabulary to describe how it was different now, but he was very in tune with his parents' emotional barometers, and he was happy to spend his time sitting in the living room and looking out the window. Except now he was hungry. He knew that he had the apple in his backpack, but he didn't want to eat it. Jake enjoyed apples, but if he ate the one in his backpack, then he wouldn't have one if the school bus happened to come by right then, and he didn't want to go to his first day of school unprepared. Besides, he was finally getting restless after sitting here all day. He turned around on his knees and shuffled off of the couch to make his way to the kitchen. As he walked through the doorway, he saw his parents sitting at the small, round table, watching the news on the portable black-and-white television that had permanent residence on the counter. His mom had a lit cigarette in her hand, forgotten, and his dad was holding a half-empty bottle of beer. There was an empty glass on the table near his mom. Neither were looking at him. "'Mom, I'm hungry,' Jake said, and both of his parents jumped a little, startled. A small splash of beer spilled out of the bottle in his dad's hand, wetting his blue jeans. Shit, his dad muttered and pushed back from the table, glowering briefly at Jake. What are you doing creeping around? I just want something to eat. The bus isn't here yet. The bus isn't going to... His dad started, but then stopped. He looked at Jake for a moment, his expression irritated, and then softened a little. Your mom will make you something to eat. I, I gotta go change my pants. He glanced at Jake's mom and then turned and went out of the small kitchen. Both Jake and his mom looked after him for a moment as he walked down the hall towards the back of the house. How's a peanut butter sandwich sound, kid? 
Jake turned to his mom and then looked at the clock hanging on the wall. He wasn't very good at telling time yet, but he knew that it was later than lunchtime. Isn't it time for dinner? He asked. Jake's mom appeared startled as she followed his gaze to the clock. Shit, she muttered and then quickly glanced back at Jake. Sorry, she said. Can we have noodles? Jake asked. His mother took a drag off her cigarette and then ground it out in the ashtray on the table. Sure, Jake, she said, walking over to the cabinet. Jake turned his attention to the television, but caught his mom say, Not too much left besides noodles, anyway, under her breath. The man on the news was sitting in a studio, talking about the snow. The news was boring to Jake, but he sat down in his dad's chair, rested his chin in his hands, elbows propped on the table, and waited for his mom to cook dinner. Jake sat in the living room, wrapped in a blanket and slumped down with his chin resting on the back of the couch. His backpack was still on the floor where it had been the day prior. He was looking out the window again. The snow was higher now, piled up to the point that he could see a few inches of it above the bottom edge of the glass. The bumps that represented the parked cars were still visible, but harder to make out now. The snow was slowing, but Jake could barely catch glimpses of anything beyond the roadway. He could see a little bit of the houses across the street, but didn't see any lights, so their power must be out too. When Jake had woken up early that morning, the house was cold and dark. The electricity had gone out sometime during the night. He had gotten out of bed and walked groggily to his parents' room. The door was open and they were still asleep. He crawled into bed with them and must have drifted off again because it was suddenly later and they were gone. He could hear them yelling at each other in the kitchen. It was bad. Jake usually went outside when it was like this, but he couldn't go outside now. He turned over in their bed and pulled the covers up, trying to block out the sound. Well, what the fuck do you expect me to do, Linda? I can't go out there and the phone isn't working. I don't know, but we have to do something. We've only got food for a few more days. Yeah, because that's what you really want me to go get for you. How dare you? You're the only one allowed to have a drink in the evening. Or the morning, or the afternoon. God, you are such an asshole. We are running out of food, Jim. The snow isn't stopping and we don't have much left to eat. But now the snow was stopping and Jake sat on the couch and watched the last of it as it drifted down from the blank sky. He was still looking for the school bus, but it was more out of habit than anything at this point. There were no tire tracks on the road, no footsteps or animal tracks either, just an unblemished white that was as high as he was tall. Besides the dwindling snowflakes, there was no movement outside, no sound, no nothing. Jake desperately wanted to go to school. It wasn't just the thought of new friends and an exciting new place, but it was a chance to have something be different. In all of the shows, classes started on time and the teachers kept things in order and things just made sense. If he had been older, Jake would have said that the reliability of school was what he was yearning for, something with structure and dependability that he had been craving for his whole life. Inside the house, there were occasional sounds coming out of the kitchen, 
something like a drinking glass on wood. That meant his mother was in there, but he didn't know where his father was. Probably in the bedroom. Jake pulled the blanket tighter around himself, shivering a little, and continued to stare out through the window. Jake woke up the next morning to the sound of his mother screaming hysterically. He bolted up, not sure where he was. He had slept in his parents' bed the night before, but the darkness and sudden jarring wakefulness were disorienting. He jumped out of bed and almost tilted over, still not fully awake. He barely registered how cold it was in the house. His mother wouldn't stop screaming, and he could now hear his dad trying to get her to be quiet. You're going to wake him up, now shut up! Jake ran out of the bedroom, knocking his shoulder against the door jamb in the process. The screaming was coming from the living room, and he found his parents there. His dad was holding his mom in a tight hug, restraining her as she was desperately trying to escape his embrace. He was wearing his denim jacket, and his mom was wearing what looked like two pairs of pajamas. They were in the center of the room, but she kept turning her head back towards the picture window as his dad tried to keep her from looking out. He was making shushing noises and telling her not to wake Jacob. What's going on? Jake asked. His dad turned to him, and in his distraction, Jake's mom twisted out of his grasp and flew towards the window. She leaned over the back of the couch, staring desperately outside. Jake had a moment to think that she was exactly where he had been a few days before, and then his mom started yelling again. Jesus Christ, do you see it? Do you see it? Do you? Linda! Jake is here! His dad bellowed, and Jake's mom stopped flinching. Jake stood in the doorway, looking at his parents, and started to cry a little. What's happening? What's wrong? Christ, now I have to deal with this too, his dad said. But his mother had apparently sobered a little, and she came over to comfort Jake. It's okay, sweetie, she said, trembling slightly as she knelt down and hugged him. Jake was crying openly now, scared and cold. It's okay, Jakey. Mommy and Daddy are just really wanting the snow to go away. What did you see outside? Jake asked between sobs. Nothing, baby, nothing, his mother said. But Jake felt her head lift from where it had been against him, and he knew that she was looking at his father. Jim, she said. What? he replied, frustrated. Jake felt his mother sigh deeply against him, and then she picked him up. How about we all go into the kitchen and have some breakfast? How's some cereal sound, Jake? Jake kept crying but managed to nod his head. She carried him into the kitchen and put him down in a chair at the table. When his father entered a few moments later, his mom went over and the two whispered together. Jake was still crying but thought he heard her say, don't let him look out the window. After a breakfast of cereal with no milk, they spent the day in the kitchen playing cards and layering on clothing to try to stay warm. Jake would have enjoyed it if his parents hadn't kept glancing out towards the living room, obviously distracted. Sometime later, before it got dark, they both had a drink, and then another, and more after that until everything was gone. Then they started arguing, 
and Jake left the kitchen for his bedroom, where he lay in his bed and listened to them yell at each other. After a while, he slept. Jake awoke in the night, hungry and needing to use the bathroom. He walked past his parents' room on the way to the toilet and saw his dad asleep in their bed, still wearing his day clothes. His mom wasn't there. Jake went into the kitchen, where he saw his mother slumped in a chair, leaning on top of the table, lightly snoring. Jake stood there for a moment, feeling a multitude of emotions that he didn't know how to process, and quietly started to cry again. Still crying, he walked to the bathroom and went pee, and then started back to his bedroom. Halfway there, he stopped, listening to the silence of the house and the world outside. It was cold, very cold now, and he wanted to get back into bed, but there was something else he had to do first. He was done crying, but his nose was still running, and he wiped it with his sleeve as he turned around and started towards the living room. He was walking stealthily now. Neither of his parents had woken when he was moving around the house a few minutes earlier, but now that he was doing something that he knew he wasn't supposed to, he was scared that one of them would wake up and be angry. Making his parents angry was at the very top of Jake's list of things that he didn't want to have happen. He crept back down the hall, passing the open door to the bedroom and entering the kitchen. His socks had been silent on the carpet of the hallway, but some of the floorboards in the kitchen creaked from time to time, and he was careful to step very lightly. Even so, his mother shifted in her chair as he walked past, and Jake jumped a little. When she settled back, he went the rest of the way through the kitchen and into the living room. It was very dark, but the snow outside seemed to cast a faint light into the room. Jake walked slowly to the couch. The snow had stopped the day before, but was still piled high enough that he couldn't see across it while standing on the floor. He climbed up onto the couch and stood up, pressing his hands against the cold glass and looking out across the yard and towards the houses across the street. There were still no lights on in them. There was no movement of any kind. What had made his mom so upset? Jake looked around for a minute, not seeing anything. He was turning to get off the couch and go back to bed when something caught his eye. It was on top of the snow, just at the edge of the window and to the side. Jake hadn't seen it at first because he had been looking past the snow, not at it. Jake stood there motionless, his heart speeding up and his eyes wide. He was shivering now, but not just from the cold. He was aware that he needed to not make any noise, or he would wake up his parents, but he was starting to breathe heavily and knew that he wouldn't be able to stay quiet for much longer. He stumbled off the couch and ran as silently as he could back to his room. He jumped into bed, pulled the covers up as high as they would go, and started to sob into his blankets. He stayed that way for over an hour, until fear, hunger, and anxiety exhausted him, and he drifted into an uneasy sleep, dreaming of the four clawed footprints that led up to the front window 
and then away from it, and the small puddle of frozen blood that was pooled against the glass. The next two days passed without incident. His parents fought. There wasn't any food left. Jake tried to fit himself into the unseen cracks of their new life. Jake woke up to a smell that he wasn't expecting. Bacon. He stumbled out of bed and walked, bleary-eyed, into the kitchen. His mom was at the counter, cooking on a small propane camping stove. His dad was sitting at the table, drinking a cup of coffee and smoking a cigarette. "'Mom?' Jake asked, rubbing his eyes. His mom turned a smile on her face, but it faded when she saw him. She stopped, looking at him, until his dad muttered, "'Want to get Jake some bacon, honey?' He wasn't looking at Jake. "'Yes,' she said, strangely, and then again with more conviction. "'Yes, here, Jake,' and she pulled four thick strips of bacon from the hot griddle. The smell was amazing, and Jake realized that his mouth was watering like a cartoon wolf. Jake sat down at the table and tore into the bacon. As he was finishing, his mom placed three more strips on his plate— Jake looked up and started to say, thank you, like he had been taught, but his mother quickly turned away when he caught her gaze. Jake kept on eating his bacon, but he was aware that the mood had sombered since he arrived. His mother continued to cook, and his father was still drinking coffee, but it was otherwise silent in the kitchen. Mom, where did the bacon come from? There was a bang as his mother slammed the fork in her hand down against the countertop. Jake froze. Something was very wrong here. Can't you just be happy? His mother said. She had both hands planted on the counter, her shoulders tense. Can't you just be fucking happy? Hey, Linda, Jake's father started. No! His mother yelled, spinning around and facing them. The fork in her hand pointed accusingly towards Jake. We haven't had anything to eat for days, and you can't just be happy that there's food here? You have no idea what we had to do for this. No idea! I'm sorry, Mom, Jake began, but it was too late. No, it's ruined now, she yelled. She slid the propane stove to the edge of the counter and swept the remaining bacon into the sink with the fork. Hey, what the hell? Jake's dad shouted. He stood up angrily. Why the fuck did you do that? But he got no answer. Jake's mom slumped slowly to the floor, crying. His dad stood where he was for a moment and then said, Fuck this. He looked at Jake and started to turn to go, but then stopped. You did this to her, he said, looking back over his shoulder, and then something that confused Jake further. I'm not even sorry, you know that? Not sorry a bit. And he stomped down the hall, slamming the bedroom door behind him. Jake sat, stunned and terrified. His mom huddled on the floor by the sink, sobbing loudly. After a minute, Jake grabbed the remaining bacon from his plate and walked slowly into the living room. He sat on the couch and chewed, numbly, until the food was gone. When he was done, he curled up on the couch and looked out the window at the silent world beyond. 
After a while, he started crying himself. Slowly, he drifted off to sleep, but not before noticing a fresh set of clawed tracks leading up to the window. There was no set of retreating prints this time. Jakey, wake up. Jake shifted on the couch, where he was curled into a small ball. He had been dreaming of someone scratching on the front door. Jake, come on, you have to get up now. His mother, talking to him. Jake opened his eyes. Mom? Yes, Jake, it's time to get up. Come on, now. Jake looked around. The house was dark. It was sometime during the night. Both of his parents were standing by the couch, looking down at him. His father was holding Jake's jacket that he had worn last winter. What's going on? His mother again, sterner now. Jake, I told you, it's time to get up. Now get up. He pulled himself into a sitting position, confused and half awake. His father handed his jacket to him. Come on, Jakey. You gotta put your jacket on. It's time to go. What? It's time to go. Time to go to school, Jake. This woke Jake up fully. Huh? He said and turned to look out the window. It was just as it had been the last few days. The snow covered everything. There was no light, no movement. Where's the bus? He asked, still looking out the window. It's coming, baby, his mom said. Now put on your jacket and get ready. Jake stood unsteadily and put his jacket on. He looked down at his backpack. I ate my apple. What? His father. My apple, the one in my backpack. I ate it a few days ago. I need one to bring to school. His parents exchanged glances. My jacket doesn't fit anymore, Jake said, stretching his arms out, the sleeves only coming to his mid-forearm. Oh, it's okay, sweetie, his mom said, kneeling down and trying to pull his sleeves down to his wrists. You just needed to get from here to the bus, and there will be lots of food at school. It was dark in the house, and Jake couldn't see her face clearly, but there was something glimmering on her cheeks. But it's nighttime, Mom. There's no school at night. His father abruptly turned around and walked out of the room. Jake's mom made a sound that might have been a sob, but when she spoke, her voice was bright. Well, with all of the school everyone missed, they're having a night class so you all can catch up. What? No more questions, Jake, his mother said, suddenly harsh. You've been waiting to go to school all week, and now you don't want to go. I can't believe you. She stood up and looked down at him. Well, I don't know if they'll want you now with you acting this way and all. She crossed her arms. No, Mom, I do. I really do, Jake wailed, now distraught as well as confused. It might be too late for that. I don't think the school will want an ungrateful child like you. Please, Mom, Jake said, now starting to tear up. Please, I really want to go. I want to meet everyone. Really? Yes, please, Mom. Jake looked up at her, pleadingly. A moment passed. Jake thought he heard his mother crying, too. <sighs> okay, his mother said. But you have to go right now. The bus will be here very soon. 
She took Jake by the arm and walked him to the front door. My backpack, Jake said. You don't need... His mother started, but then stopped, looking at him. Of course. You can't forget your backpack now, can you? She walked back to the couch to retrieve it, and then returned to Jake. She stood for a moment, looking down at him and clutching the Transformer's backpack to her chest. Mom? She knelt down and helped him put it on, and then hugged him fiercely. I love you, Jakey. Please remember that, she said, and then the dam broke and she started sobbing loudly, still holding him to her. Mom, what's going on? What's wrong? Jake asked, crying himself. His mom released him and stood, wiping her eyes. Nothing, sweetie. Nothing. She took a deep, shaky breath and then released it. <sighs> okay, baby, it's time to go, she said, and reached past him to open the door. As she did so, a drift of snow fell in across the carpet, but not before Jake realized that the carpet was already covered in a dirty swath of white. Before he could ask about this, his mother was helping him up on top of the snow. It was just firm enough for him to stay on top of it without sinking too deeply. Still, as he started to sink, he panicked and turned back towards his mother. Mom, he said desperately, but she was already closing the door. Jake could hear her crying as she did so. The latch clicked shut, and Jake was suddenly alone in the dark, silent world. He stared at the door, confused and scared. The breath he pulled in was cold, and he could feel his tears tracing frigid tracks down his cheeks. He crouched there, half in the snow and leaning on the door for several minutes. He didn't care about school anymore. He didn't care about the bus, which he knew wasn't coming. He just wanted to go back. Back inside. Back to the week before when none of this had happened. Back to when things weren't scary. He cried outside, alone in the snow. He cried until he heard the sound of light footsteps, swiftly approaching from the darkness. I hope you enjoyed Snow Day as written and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 5, Eric Peabody. Up next, we've got one final terrifying tome for you, both written and voiced by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 3, Dear Blaclue. In it, an ex-girlfriend goes to extreme lengths to stay in touch with her former boyfriend and just can't take no for an answer. Without further ado, I present to you Letters to Sam. Dear Sam, how are you doing? It's been a while. I hope these winter days are treating you well. They don't agree with me so much. You remember how blue I used to get? Seasonal Affective Disorder, I believe it's called. Or SAD. Funny, isn't it? 
The thing you feel is the thing you become. But on to a happier subject. I heard you met someone. That's great! I hope you'll be very happy together, and that everything works out this time. She must be a very pretty gal to bag herself such a handsome man. Such a kind man. Such a... <laughs> oh, listen to me. I'm babbling. That always used to make you blush. You could never take a compliment. That's one of the things I adored about you. The way your awkward and almost pained smile hooked inwardly at the corners when I gush about you. Sometimes you'd even get annoyed. But I didn't mind. I never minded. It was just one more thing for me to improve on. Even when you were annoyed, you were helping me. Helping me improve. Helping me improve. Improve myself. Be better. Be right. Be perfect. Well, this letter has gone on long enough. I'll write to you again soon, just to check in. Maybe I'll drop it by your apartment. Save money on stamps. It's supposed to rain tomorrow. But don't worry. I'll wrap up good and warm. Love, Jay. Dear Sam, I came by today to drop off the letter. I think I saw your new gal in the window. Long, wavy blonde hair. Perfect smile. She was on the phone with someone. Probably you. Laughing. I bet she lights up the room with that smile of hers, huh? Even staring up in the pouring rain, surrounded by gray, I swear it nearly blinded me. She could be a model. She could be a model for dentistry with that pretty, pretty smile of hers. I bet that's one of the qualities that drew you to her. You always did like a pretty smile. In fact, that's one of the things you said you loved about me. Remember? <laughs> that's okay if you don't. I wouldn't remember me either. Anyway, after she'd finished her phone call... I approached the front door of the apartment building and attempted to leave the letter in your mailbox. Mrs. Hannity, the old bat, met me with her broom at the foot of the stairs. She still carries that thing around with her? <laughs> oh, well, I have to say it was just so nice to see her after such a long absence. I greeted her immediately. But the warmth was not reciprocated. Her face fell a sickly, off-white the moment she saw me. It was like she'd seen a ghost. She rather rudely shooed me away with her pet broom, spouting that ancient language of hers. She seemed rather upset, 
So I decided it was best to come by and give you your letter another time. That poor woman, living by herself all these years, tucked away into madness, tucked away into nothing. At her age, anything could happen. The slightest misstep, forgetting to turn the gas off and lighting one of those horrible cigarettes from the old country, forgetting to take her medication or taking too much. Perhaps I should check in on her more often. She may be glad of the company. Yes, I believe I shall pay her a little visit very soon. Love, Jay. Dear Sam, I came by again to drop off your letters, but was denied access by an ambulance and other emergency vehicles. It looked like your whole building was sealed off, but I couldn't be sure, as I was standing under the awning of the bookstore just down the street. As I moved slowly up the street and closer to the scene, I overheard two paramedics say it was an elderly woman found unconscious in her apartment by the landlord. Apparently, he occasionally stops by for a cup of tea, a cop chimed in. I also overheard it was a gas leak. How tragic. Could it be old Mrs. Hannity? Oh, I do hope she's all right. I remember warning her about that old stove of hers. You know the one she refused to get rid of? The one that banged and roared at 5 p.m. every day like clockwork? The one that kept us awake if she decided she wanted tea at some ungodly hour of the morning? I warned her about it. It's very old, I said. It's very old and something bad could happen if she kept using it. I saw them wheel a body bag out of the apartment building on a gurney. I quietly made my way towards the ambulance with its doors swung wide open and stopped just a few feet away. It was pouring. Again. No one seemed to even notice me. As the paramedics drew closer, I could see that the body was small, about five feet in length. The smell of gas quickly followed, and I admit I gagged a little. Poor Mrs. Hannity. Once upon a time, she was like a mother to us. Anyway, I'll hopefully get your letters to you tomorrow, when things have calmed down a little bit over there. Stay positive, darling! Love, Jay. Dear Sam, I don't know how many times I have to ask you to call your mother. She called me today, asking if I'd heard from you. I of course said no, and asked her what seemed to be the problem. She told me you'd gone missing, that you hadn't been seen for days. I assured her that you were probably off on one of your impromptu camping adventures. She didn't seem to want to accept this, and insisted 
that it was very serious. Elaine, she told me, had called her three days ago in quite the state, saying that you never made it home from work that day. What she doesn't know is that you never actually made it into work at all. I assume Elaine is the one with the perfect smile. You used to love that about me, remember? I think it's so nice that she and your mother get along so well, and really seem to have a dear fondness for each other. Anyway, I told her to try not to worry. She always was such a worrier. She was absolutely devastated when she heard the news. She adored me, and I her. I tried to help her understand what happened. But it's difficult to explain to someone when you don't quite understand it yourself. Sometimes things in life just happen. They happen and we want to take it all back. They happen, and we wish they didn't. Well, I'd best be going. I will once again attempt to get these letters to you, one way or another. Hopefully, there will be no more obstacles in my path. Love, Jay. Good morning, darling! How are you feeling? Okay, I've got to be honest here. I miss waking up next to you. You have the bluest eyes I have ever seen. Bluer than my husky Benny's growing up. God, I love that dog. I really wish my bastard father hadn't made me watch him put Benny out of his misery when he got caught in a bear trap in Montana that winter. Perhaps that's one reason I get the winter blues. Your mom stopped by. She said it's been a week now. Oh, my heart goes out to her. I know what it's like to lose the one you love. To have phone calls unreturned. To have texts unread. That's why I resorted to writing these letters. Aren't I clever? Besides... Letters are more romantic. No one writes them anymore. No one cares. Not like I do. Oh, I almost forgot. I bumped into your gal today. Elaine, is it? She is much prettier in person. She is a little jumpy, though, which can get annoying. In fact, she wouldn't stop being jumpy even though I told her over and over again that I was not going to hurt her. I was just there to talk. I was worried about you. I was worried that something would happen to you and I needed her cooperation, otherwise you may not be found. Well, I'm afraid things got a little out of hand and I may have struck her. She fell and hit her head awkwardly against the banister in the back stairway of the apartment block. I think she either died instantly or bled out, 
as the blood poured from her head and sprawled out onto the concrete floor beneath her delicate frame. I took the knife from my purse, cut one of her beautiful golden tendrils, and placed it in my purse for you. I thought you might want something to remember her by. It's the least I can do. It was an accident, after all. <sighs> my, oh my, it is proving increasingly difficult to get these letters to you. It seems the women in your life, old Lady Hannity included, want to sabotage their delivery. I can't imagine why. I'll try again tomorrow. And the day after that. 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 Dear Sam, <sighs> I think I may have overdone it. It was supposed to be so simple. I can admit to myself now that these letters are more for my own peace of mind rather than love notes to you. Because, let's be honest, you won't read them. You can't read them. I wish you could. Perhaps I'll read them to you. Even now, as you lay on my bed, vacantly expressive, I can still feel you. I feel you all around me. I'll let you in on a little secret. I had a copy of my key made before I returned it to you. That's how I got into your apartment the other day. I stood and watched you through the frosted glass shower door. I closed my eyes for a moment and allowed your aroma to wash over me. <sighs> so intoxicating. I remembered being in that shower with you on Sunday mornings, fucking like rabbits, whilst the coffee brewed in the kitchen. You were not as happy to see me as I had hoped, mister. You got such a start that you slipped and hit your head, knocking yourself out cold. I got you all dried off and into your robe. It's amazing how much inner strength we have in times of crisis, isn't it? Luckily, your little bimbo friend had spent the night at her mother's, as she'd had a little car trouble the night before. <laughs> Oops. So at least she wasn't there to be a third wheel this time. She'd just go about her day assuming that you went to work as usual. How nice for her. I managed to get you in the wheelchair I had specially prepared all for you and used the elevator to get you downstairs to the parking garage in the basement. I didn't even have to use the propofol I had secured in my jacket pocket. You took care of all that for me, sweetie. We made it to my place, thank God for the elevator, and I laid you down on my bed. Please, please, please understand that I had to use the restraints for your own good. If you had tried to walk as soon as you woke up, you could have fallen and really hurt yourself. I know it must have come as a shock initially, but I'm so 
proud of you for sticking it out, honey. You truly are a trooper. Seeing you there, all tied up and no place to go. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little turned on. On another note, I've been doing a great job of taking care of you and going to work. Did I tell you they transferred me to St. Mary's? It's closer, which is nice. Means I can get home to you more quickly. Oh, I have to admit, when your mom showed up here the other day, I was struck with mild panic. <laughs> oh, but thankfully, I remembered the gag before I answered the door. So she shouldn't have been able to hear you from all the way in the back room. You know what? I'll finish this tomorrow. It's too much for me to continue right now. Your eyes are faded, and I despise the gray. Love always, Jay. Dear Sam, I came home yesterday to find you had chewed off your tongue and choked on the blood. Am I that insufferable to you? Don't you want me? Don't you love me? Why? Why not? Tell me! I would have died for you, you stupid, stupid little man. I would have died for you. And now my heart is broken. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it would be funny if it wasn't so goddamn tragic. I hope you enjoyed Letters to Sam, as written and voiced by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number three, Dear Blaclu. Don't forget, all of tonight's performances were featured in the second round of this year's 2019 Evil Idol Horror Voice Acting Competition, hosted on our official Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel. It's on now and running the next several months. If you enjoyed the performances tonight, visit our YouTube channel and vote on theirs and the other entries in the competition. Again, you can find CTFDN and the Evil Idol competition on YouTube. Just search Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube on any search engine, or visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Evil Idol link on the navigation bar to see our current roster contestant profiles and links to all of the performances thus far. We and the candidates appreciate your support. We'd also like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, HelloFresh, for their support of this show. Don't forget, you can get 10 free meals, including free shipping, as part of HelloFresh's New Year's sale. Just go to HelloFresh.com slash 
CTDN10 and use code CTDN10 to sign up and get your savings. Once again, go to HelloFresh.com slash CTDN10 and use code CTDN10 to get 10 free meals, including free shipping. Be sure to use that URL and promo code to let them know that Otis and the team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights sent you. Thanks again so much for listening and for giving HelloFresh a try this month. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help support this program, and that means a lot to us. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and it's been a pleasure, as always. I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn about more of our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Otis Jack. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. If you're looking for some fresh tales while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, Otis Jiry's Horror Storytime, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Or search for my podcast, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, where I perform four brand new tales every episode. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like to perform? We take submissions. Email us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tone considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook, to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well. To get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing. Leave a kind word or a request. Don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But 
That's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.